you have your Bible with you or you'd like to use one in the back of the pew in front of you, turn with me to the New Testament book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to start in verses 22 to 23. I would encourage you to keep your Bible open and your place there. We are going to navigate a lot of the book of Galatians this morning. Think about this passage in the context for a little bit. If you're a guest with us, we are finishing a series in the Fruit of the Spirit. And I did not know exactly what we were getting into when we started, but I am glad we've spent the time in this passage that we have. I've noticed God doing some things in my own life, and I pray that's true for you as well. If you missed one, go back and check it out online, watch the video, listen to it, the podcast, however you can. And uh, I pray that God would continue to bear fruit in your life through it. This morning we will consider the last fruit, self-control. With all that in mind, let's read Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23 one last time. This is the word of the Lord. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I've never been a waiter, but I imagine people who ask for all kinds of substitutions is a good test for self-control. If one of my kids orders a cheeseburger and wants a substitute, it drives me crazy, and I'm not even the one taking the order. Now, it's one thing if, for dietary reasons, you order a latte, and instead of whole milk, you ask for soy milk. That makes some sense. I will let that substitution slide. You may proceed with your beverage. But have you ever been around someone? You go to a a restaurant and sit down and order, and they order something like, I would like the brisket sandwich. But instead of bread, I would like salad. And instead of brisket, I would like chicken. (laughs) They're missing the point here, right? There are some things that it just doesn't work, right? This is a totally different dish. Just order yourself the chicken tender salad, right, from the start. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is like that. It's not like going from whole milk to soy milk. You cannot substitute the one true gospel. That's the point of Galatians. Once you get past faith in Christ alone, you have moved on to a different dish. You're ordering something from God altogether different. And when we come to the ingredients of the fruit of the Spirit, this last fruit is the same. Listen, Brothers and sisters, you cannot substitute authentic self-control. You cannot look at the menu of the fruit of the Spirit and decide that you like love, joy, peace, and patience and all of these other ones, but get to this and want to substitute it for some soy self-control. No, sir, no ma'am. You've got to order the real thing because the real Holy Spirit works in his real people to produce real self-control. 
Now, before we talk about false substitutes, I want to talk about the idea of self-control, the real ingredient, the real fruit, if you will. Self-control is the restraint of one's emotions, impulses, and desires. That alone is entirely countercultural. Our world tells us, do not restrain your desire. Let it go, let it go. Be you. Unleash the full potential of who you are. Self-control, biblically, is self-mastery in situations of temptation. I imagine it sends us thinking about a lot of different opportunities for self-control. Jerry Bridges helpfully writes that self-control is not just saying no to wrong things. It is also saying yes to good things. Biblical self-control is not just saying no to that extra piece of cheesecake. It is also choosing to wake up early and not turn on the news, but open your Bible and spend some time with the Lord. That's self-control as well. Friends, in the New Testament, even though this word is last, it is not just a throw-in. It's a major point of emphasis in the gospel. In the book of Acts, chapter 24 to 25, Paul is on trial. And before the governor, this is what he teaches. Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment. One of the three points that he had in his sermon while he's on trial is this fruit of self-control. It was an all-encompassing idea. It's supposed to show up in every area of our life. We need self-control in the thoughts that we think. What did Jesus teach? Jesus said, if you look at a brother in anger, if you have violent thoughts towards your neighbor, you commit murder. Jesus says, if you, if, forget what you do if you look at your neighbor in lust. It is as if you have already committed adultery. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Friend, consider the thoughts you think that nobody knows about. Paul says we're supposed to take captive every thought. Self-control shows up not just in the thoughts we think, but in the words we say. Oof. James chapter 3, verse 5, James says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Then in verse 10, James says, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Brothers and sisters, know this. When you're at the coffee shop, when you're at the diner, and you're gossiping about your neighbor, doing all the things they do, losing their self-control, you are doing the same thing when you keep running your mouth. We need self-control in the words we say. We need self-control in all the things we do. 
And there's two places the Bible always seems to bring us. And since the Bible always brings it up, I've got to too. We're supposed to have self-control in the bedroom and at the kitchen table. Let me show you both of these places. I'm just going to quote scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. That's everybody. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. But it also brings us to the kitchen table. Baptists need to hear a little bit about that, I think. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 to 20. Paul says this, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Watch how the enemies of the cross live. It's amazing. Paul says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Whatever their belly says, they do. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship, the church, is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And then in verse 31, the whole point is, So, whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I'm trying to cover the gamut here because I'm about to get very specific. And I don't want to be charged with picking favorites. Okay? From beginning to end in any area that the Bible talks about, in the thoughts we think, in the words we say, in the actions we do, in all that we are, in all that we do, God expects you to have self-control. God, you, you may be saying, well, what about grace? What about forgiveness? Isn't his mercy more? That's what we sing. Exactly. But 1 Peter 1 verse 15 tells us that as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is, is that the God who forgives you by grace is the God who equips you by grace to exercise self-control. This is the gospel, brothers and sisters. At one point, when these demands were honest, we had no control. We lived and did whatever we wanted. And because of that, God sent his son Jesus to be the perfect man, the man who would exercise self-control in the face of every temptation every single time, who would die for a group of sinners who had no self-control. And that all who believed in him, God would put the spirit of Jesus inside of them so that they could walk as he walked and live in self-control like Jesus. Brothers and sisters, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Where does God want this in your life? I think we all know and we're afraid to say it because we don't want to change. 
We don't want self-control. We want a substitute. Where do you need to keep in step with the Spirit? Friends, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. There's no hope for that. So I want you to know that I agree that we need self-control. Everybody hear that from me? I want that to be crystal clear. God expects his people to bear the fruit of self-control. Now, when I throw that on the menu, some of us want to order differently. And they want a substitute. This has happened since Paul's time and throughout church history. And it goes back and forth like a pendulum swinging so hard the clock is about to break. And what I want to show you are the two extreme responses that betray the gospel. These are two false substitutes that when you pick them over self-control, you are no longer under the gospel. You are no longer promoting the fruit of the Spirit. You are in another story altogether. You cannot substitute these. The first response that we go to to betray the gospel is legalism. The second one is license, and we'll get to that one in a minute. But one of these false substitutes demands total obedience to God's rule book in order to be saved. That's what legalism is. The other one, license, declares that we have total liberty to do whatever we want, and that because we're saved by grace, we're free to be who we are and enjoy life. Friends, both of these lies miss the mark of the gospel. I want to show you this in the book of Galatians. And the first response we're going to look at is the lie of legalism. The story in Galatians is that false teachers have invaded this church and they're teaching that Jesus, faith in him, is not enough. They are telling Gentile believers, and for parentheses, that's us. He's telling them that they have to follow Jewish rules to be saved. That they have to be basically Jewish in order to enter heaven. And the impact of that is huge. In chapter 1, Paul just starts out with a bombshell and says, I'm astonished that you are deserting the Lord. That you're abandoning the gospel and this grace for this curse. Paul says it twice, that anyone who falls into this bandwagon of legalism is accursed. Literally not going to heaven. Crystal clear. But it all comes to a head and an apex, and it gets even more intense in chapter 2 when Peter comes to Antioch and becomes one of the legalists. Now look over to Galatians chapter 2 and watch what happens. Galatians chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. I'm just going to back up and read verse 11. If you're there, great. I don't have that on the screen. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face 
because he stood condemned. Four, before certain men came from James, Peter, Cephas, was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, in front of God and everybody, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Here's what's going on, brothers and sisters. In the early church, having a meal together was a big deal. One of the laws was that the Jewish people couldn't eat at all with the Gentile people. So just by doing that, you were breaking one of God's laws and unclean, invalid before God. Peter, in the book of Acts, had a vision and understood from God, had dinner with Cornelius, and knew the gospel fact that if you're saved by grace, you can eat at the table with anybody. He knew. And at first, Peter at Antioch is eating and acting like the Gentiles belong. Eating together was basically a sign of church membership, a symbol that you belong to the same family of God and can enjoy communion together. And Peter is practicing the gospel with his actions at the dinner table by accepting anyone, whether or not they had obeyed all of the Jewish laws. But then the legalists show up, and Peter changes his story. He gets up from the table and says, you're not good enough for me. Tom Schreiner writes, in effect, Peter was requiring the Gentiles to observe the laws to be saved. By his actions, Peter was basically saying they were not true believers unless they observed all the laws. And that is what ticked Paul off. That was what offended Paul. Peter was hypocritically contradicting the gospel of grace. This apostle of Christ who was supposed to love the sheep and shepherd the family of God was betraying the gospel of Jesus Christ himself. Even Barnabas, the brother of encouragement, was discouraging these Gentiles and saying, you are not good enough for God. He demoted these true followers of Jesus because he was afraid of the false brothers of the circumcision. He injured the weaker brother because he wanted to impress the false teachers. And the glory of the gospel was in jeopardy in Galatia. Now it's really easy to read this story and shake our heads at Peter like we do and say, oh, there he goes again. What a jerk. I'd never go to church with Peter. Every time he speaks, he gets in trouble. And here he is in Galatia, once again, messing it all up. But let me ask you, brothers and sisters, how many times do we do the same thing? How many times do we say, you must do this to be my church brother? 
you must perform this to sit at my table of fellowship. We say we're saved by grace, but we sing a different song. What do people have to do to belong to our table? Brothers and sisters, in the past, in this local church congregation, you could not sit at the table of fellowship unless you were baptized in this room. That's false gospel. That's accursed. Not that far down the road. There's a, there's a movie, you might have heard of it, called Footloose. Based off an entire town where you're not allowed to dance. And you couldn't belong to the church or serve in the church if you danced. That's going to be hard for Brother David in the Old Testament. That's accursed. That's false teaching. Brothers and sisters, in our current documents, only people who abstain from the use of intoxicating drinks as a beverage can sit at our table of fellowship. You must conform to the laws to be considered a brother. Does God make that requirement for entrance into heaven? Is that his standard for fellowship in his family? Do we even live like that secretly? Consider Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 to 23. We've read this and studied it in depth. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. What does Paul have to say about these things? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul says these rules look nice, but they do nothing to produce self-control. They do not save you, they trick you, and they do nothing for your godly Christian life. Brothers and sisters, if the Word of God is our final authority for all matters of faith and practice, this demand for fellowship in the church body is invalid and false gospel. Fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with one another is through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. Do not believe the lie of legalism. I am warning you, if you are struggling with this, you are the one who is most in danger before God. Watch it. 
Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, I am trying to save your soul. You think I'm in danger, but brothers and sisters, read Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. If you think that your works do anything for you and your obedience to a rule does anything for you and someone's disobedience to a rule does something for them, Galatians chapter 5, verse 4 says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. If you depend on your performance and obedience to some ritualistic rules and laws and covenant, you are more in danger than the person who is opening a beverage that you cannot open. You are the one hanging on the cusp of hell because you think your spirituality makes you better than that person. And the gospel is that you are the worst and I am the worst of sinners. And that God sent the better son, Jesus, to die for our self-righteousness and raise us up to live in his, his grace and power and freedom. Do not believe the lie of legalism for one more minute. And I already know there's questions swirling around the room, but what about this? What about the weaker brother? What about this passage? Friends, anytime someone proclaims the gospel of grace like I have done, the pendulum swings. Happens in the Bible, happens in church history, it's happening in this room right now. And I'm here to declare to you there's another false substitute that you cannot accept. You cannot accept the lie of legalism, and brothers and sisters, you cannot accept the lie of license. Paul sees it coming. He anticipates the pendulum swing in Galatia as he's fighting Peter. And that's why in chapter 5, the chapter we are in, verse 13, Peter says, no, 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 no. Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love, serve one another. When Martin Luther fought against the legalism in the Catholic Church, the pendulum swung, and he saw it coming. And he wrote in his commentary on this section in the book of Galatians this, Friends, we have a common problem. When the sinful nature hears the doctrines of faith and grace, it abuses it. And concludes that if we are without the law, we can live as we like. And Martin Luther boldly declared 500 years ago, and I declare today, no, you can't. As I defend the gospel against our man-made rules and our legalism, this is not what I'm saying, that in your freedom you can do whatever you want. Galatians chapter 5 lists the works of the flesh. You can see them in full, but I'm going to point out four of them. Sexual immorality, divisions, idolatry, and drunkenness, all included. And at the end of verse 21, what does Paul say? Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty straightforward. 
Now listen, he's not saying those who mess up and do this one time. If that's true, we are all done because how much division and envy have been in our lives before? He's talking about people who make this a habit, who have no conviction and no repentance, who dive deep into the license. Paul's saying they prove that they do not have the spirit and do not belong to the kingdom in the first place. There is no fruit. We see it all over. I'm just going to show you all over this lie of license. In Jude, in the fourth verse, Jude says, Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for the condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. They take this word grace and say, God, you can't earn favor with God, so you might as well go and do whatever you want. That's a false gospel too, Jude says. Romans chapter 6, verse 15, Paul says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be even named among you as is proper among the saints. Verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't let anybody trick you. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 5, verse 17 and 18, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Friends, neither side of the pendulum swing is the place to land. Self-control is the ability to stay within reasonable bounds. But do not believe the lie that because of God's grace, nothing is out of bounds. Like Paul, discipline your body, keep it under control, lest you yourself be disqualified. God has given, brothers and sisters, God has given each one of us a conscience. He's given each one of us the Holy Spirit and the fruit of self-control. And that is sufficient. In 1 Corinthians, in the book of Romans, there are tons of gray areas like the ones that I have mentioned where Paul doesn't bring the hammer down and say, this is what you believe. He says, you determine in your heart with your conscience before the authority of God with the Holy Spirit living inside of you what is right for you and live in faith. Do not use your freedom to abuse your brother. With love, sacrifice your preferences for your brother, but walk in freedom, not as an opportunity for the flesh. That's where the Bible leaves us. And friends, as a church family, sometimes we feel like it's not enough and we got to do God's job for him. But if the Spirit lives inside of you, he can produce the fruit of self-control without some man-made regulation doing God's work for him. And he who can save you can make you holy as he is holy. 
I want to be crystal clear, brothers and sisters. I'm not just giving everyone in here a green light to just do whatever they want. That's not what's going on. But I am giving you a green light to actually believe and practice the gospel. I was in a church service like this when I was in college, and this blew me away because no one had ever preached the gospel to me before. It was just rules. And at the end of the service, the pastor said, well, we can't just say we believe these things. We've got to practice it. And so right there from the stage, he tells every small group, every community group to go leave and, and have fellowship together and to bring beer because of the freedom of the gospel. And my small group took that serious. We show up to a community group, and everybody says, hey, we're free. Gospel of grace. And nobody asked about the weaker brother. Nobody considered other people's consciences. It was just free for all. What no one knew was that one young wife in particular in that group had a lifetime struggle with alcoholism. And one single group gathering, one single dinner together sent her in to a spiral that made her lose her family. Sent her into a halfway house. All for the sake of freedom. Brothers and sisters, that's not the gospel either. That's false gospel too. We can't go to either extreme. God wants us to actually have self-control and land in the middle. Because biblical self-control glorifies God. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20, You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Self-control loves our neighbor more than ourself. Galatians 5, verse 14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Brothers and sisters, in the thoughts you think, in the words you say, in the things you do, in the foods you eat, in the drinks you drink, let the Spirit of Christ who gave himself up for you, empower you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And may that sit with your conscience exactly how the Holy Spirit wants it to. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power. Friends, just like love and joy and peace, this version of authentic biblical self-control is God-glorifying and against such things there is no law. When you look at that menu and you see the options for your table, you may prefer a simple rule that tells you how to live. You may prefer 
the green light to go and live however you want. But you cannot substitute the biblical gospel and you cannot substitute authentic biblical self-control. May God empower us to leave today practicing biblical, authentic self-control for the glory of his name. Let's pray.